back to be. We're going to um, try to uh, continue our program without any difficulties here, and we have our, our friends with us. Uh, we have the eyewitnesses to the. The event uh, 30 years ago at uh, Rendlesham Forest, the uh, landmark UFO event uh, at the joint naval, the joint NATO bases, uh, Jim Penniston and John Burroughs. Uh, we also have Peter Robbins, uh, who we've seen with uh, eyewitness Larry Warren of Left at East Gate, and we also have local uh, authorities, uh, Tracy Monger and Ron, uh, Ronnie Dugdale, who are uh, uh, pretty. Pretty steady in, the, in their uh, their connection with us here today. So, I'm going to turn it back over to Peter to continue his questions, and we're going to continue looking at the uh, the event last uh, last month and the event itself. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah. Um, hi, Ronnie and Tracy. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're fine, Pete. <laughs> it's good to hear your voices. Listen, my friends. Um, you know, <laughs> although we had corresponded back and forth for some time leading to the event. We met on uh, the day in question. Uh, we did our interview. We all attended the event and uh, went out to the woods with Jim and John. Before I ask you what your feelings were uh, about being back on that location um, at Eastgate on that historic night, um, Ronnie, I, I, I wanted to ask you if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about something that we talked about uh, in, the, uh, in the pub beforehand. Uh, we were there only for soft drinks, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and that was, um, I asked you how you got involved in, in interest in the work, and you told me just a great account. I've heard variations on it over the years, and it had to do with when you were young, growing up in the area, very shortly after your sister was dating uh, a United States airman. Would you mind just filling us in on that? Yes, yeah, sure, um, Peter. Um when I was young, I played quite a bit of soccer, and I got to know several of the airmen through coming up to the nightclubs at Yarmouth, and we used to train together. And on one particular weekend, one of the airmen came really excited and told me this story, what had gone on in the woods um, that weekend, you know, the whole story about the UFO and everything. And so um, he went back to um, base, and then about a fortnight later when I saw him again, the first thing I said was, you know, well, you know, what else has happened, what else has happened, and he completely either didn't know anything what happened, or had been got at, but he's never spoke about it since, and I still correspond with him, he's never brought it up, he knows I'm involved, but he's never ever brought this up since, that was just like either he'd been got at, or he'd been brainwashed, or something had happened. Yeah, not a surprise, but um, just a really good example from someone who had that experience with a, a member of uh, the American military stationed there at the time. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Peter, can, can, can I just say, you really needed to know this person because we were buddies, you know, we shared girlfriends, we went out together. Um, yeah. He told me lots of things, you know, but this was something mind-blowing, what he told me. He didn't just tell me, he told them... Um, one of my relatives' uh, family as well, because he was involved with their daughter. And when he came back, that was almost like he was in denial. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. Yeah. You, you couldn't, um, he couldn't have acted it, you know, that something happened. Well, um, yeah, and again, thank you for sharing that. It's just a window in on the reality of this stuff. Uh, again, um, having not having a military background, I can't really imagine uh, the pressure that's put on um, people like John and Jim 
uh, Larry, whomever, the other guys that haven't come forward and others that have more quietly to toe the line, you know, uh, and, um, you know, uh, just not open your mouth about this. Uh, that's just a, a great anecdote. But um, as for the day, because you grew up with this story as part of, you know, the soundtrack of your life, as they say, um, yeah. did, for you or for Tracy, I, I'd like to hear from both of you, did um, the conference, did anything that John or Jim were kind enough to share with us back on location at Eastgate answer any of the questions that you had had for years, give you more questions, um, any any of your thoughts or impressions I, I'd value personally. Can I just come in up here? Um, for me personally, I think I've come away with more questions than answers. But um, having, having John and Jim down there on the gate made it all, all much more real because they explained how there was no trees within 200 metres of the gate and the gate was further back, so you could picture it a bit more. Yeah. Um, but the actual, the actual events... Um, I knew about them anyway, you know, I've, I've researched it about it. So I, I had a good idea in my mind exactly how they explained it. Maybe for some people who were new to the subject, that would have been more amazing for them. But I've come away from the conference probably because of the binary codes with more questions and answers. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Tracy, a any thoughts or impressions uh, that you were left with? Um, well, yes. I mean, it was an um, interesting experience to actually meet everybody, to hear firsthand of um, everything that John and Jim had to say instead of hearing it or reading it. If yeah. Um, see the um Jim and John as well. That was um, sort of emotional as well because I've been to Rangersham so many times, but to actually mm. See them and hear them. What they the new sort of feel on it, if that makes sense? Yeah. Hmm. Um. All right. Well, can I just interject a question too for uh, for our local witnesses too, and and uh, anybody can can contribute to this as well. Obviously, when we played the initial recording at the beginning of the show, uh, the interview with the Larry Warren and and the Larry and Peter commenting on the. Uh, I'm just fascinated by, by the experiences after the event. Of course, this implies that this area is, from a paranormal standpoint, hot, as we might say. Uh, that there are certain things going on here, certain energies, certain of whatever you want to call the world. I would ask uh, Tracy and, and uh, Ronnie, what, what uh, indications do you have coming in still from local people of events and... Does it tie in with a, a sort of paranormal history of this area that druids consider it a sacred place? Anything of that kind? What, what's your take on that? What, what's about ongoing events? Um, I mean, I personally would say um, definitely there is still stuff going on there. Um, people regularly see lights in the field, in the sky. Um, I mean, most people would dispute them as um, uh, 
Oh, there we are. Okay, are we back? All right. Are we on? Studio, are you there? Yeah, right, Paul, well, you're on, and I believe uh, Peter, Jim, and John are with you. Uh, okay. I don't see Tracy. All right. This is, um, again, folks, I, I'm very sorry about this, but th this, is, this is an epidemic problem with us. Whenever we have, whenever we talk about this subject, whenever, whenever we get to UFOs in any depth and people have commented, maybe somebody's trying to draw attention. I don't know. But anyway, I'm Ronnie Dugdale, and I was in the middle of answering, asking poor Tracy, whom we don't seem to be able to get back here, uh, a question about ongoing events at Rendlesham. Uh, does the area have a paranormal history? Apparently it does. Local people have and still report events going on, or lights in the sky, things of this kind. Ronnie, you want to take it from there? Yeah, we'll do. Um, definitely, that's got a long paranormal past. Um, witchcraft started in this country in Butley Village, which is just down the road. Um, a little while down the road is Sutton Ho, the, the, a, a massive burial um, site there. There's burial mounds and tumuluses all over Rendlesham. That's been a hive of activity for um, ghostly sightings and paranormal things. And apart from these major events, what happened in in um, 1980, we're still getting sightings on a weekly basis, and they go back to the 50s. You know, this, that hasn't just all happened 30 years ago. There's lots going on there. I don't know what it is. There's a, that's a hotbed and a hive of activity that seems to be centred around, um, you know, that... The, the area of the um, Cabell Green around there, there, there's definitely a presence there. Mm -hmm. um, that's not always in one place. That seems to move about. Um, just recently, John and Jim got together. They went back to Rendlesham, didn't they? And they decided that the original landing site wasn't where they originally thought it was. They were able to relive the scene, and they went back there, and they found out where it is. Well, that is exactly the same place where Tracy and myself and another friend of ours had a sighting a couple of years ago. And I corresponded to John before, the, before they um, had a review of where their site was, and I talked to him about a time lapse that I had there, and that puts it right at the, the trackway at the back where their new sighting is. So there's definitely something. That, that is the hotbed in that area. There's lots going on there. And I'd ask, again, I'm going to give it back to Peter in a second, but I just, my curiosity is getting the best of me here. Everything we've talked about, about the local ongoing sightings, et cetera, kind of begs a question. And that question is, and John and Jim, how come there was only this one, that we know about anyway, this one incident 30 years ago on the air basis? How come there weren't uh, frequent reports of sightings? Uh, guys kind of you know, running into the woods every week or so to kind of see what these things were. In other words, how come uh, if, if maybe that did occur? I don't know. Maybe it was – but you fellows would know. Uh, you see what I'm getting at here? How come there was only one incident when the, the area seemed so active? Can I come in there, Ronnie? Sure. That, that wasn't just a one incident. This has been going on since the 50s. Oh, you no, know, no, this in the sense of how come the, the, the John and Jim didn't go out every other night and, you know, be, and see stuff in the woods and see the craft. And, oh, I see. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah they were too busy being policemen. I suppose. Well, so, John and Jim, mm. uh, any comment on that, on that question? Well, okay, I'll, I'll jump in on this one, okay. First of all, through the work of Linda, and she's come up with quite a few witnesses. Linda Moulton yeah. Yeah. Yes, and seen different things, not just on our nights, but there have been different things seen in the sky going on. There's different people now that are coming forward and saw strange things in the air and, and stuff like that. 
I would presume our incident was because we saw something in the woods, and then you had the radar contact, and we were authorized to go out there. But to, to expand on this area, it wasn't something – It's make, you're making it sound like we had one area we thought we were, and now we changed it. That's not the case. I have never been on the record prior to going back over there for sure where we were, other than I knew that, you know, Pacific, we, went, we came from the gate, we turned right. But by going back there, Jim and I were able to work out in the area we feel the contact was and where we entered the field and went across the field, okay? So it's not like all of a sudden we changed everything. This is where us coming back together, we've got a good feeling for it. Plus the fact we also went out into the field and got readings of an energy field. If you look at Linda's report, which everybody, and I'm not trying to downplay the coach or upplay him, but when the coach came out, everything else went down the toilet as far as everything else involved in this case. But if you look at it, they had cameras out there. She had somebody come out to her cameras for three nights. They picked up some anomalies on the infrared cameras. There's clearly an energy force out there. Um, we've had reports coming to us after this of people that have seen things or things that have been picked up. Plus, at one point, from what I'm understanding was, there actually was some infrared flights that were run, or flights that were run over the area for something else, and they picked up a, a, a heat source in that area. So if you want to take this down to the nuts and bolts of it, we can speculate on what it was, where it came from, but the one thing that's pretty clear is there's something there that's an energy force. Yeah. And, and get past yeah, let, me, let me dovetail off that. The, John, let me dovetail just a little bit off that. You know, the night okay. I think that we went out in the uh, the field, I can't remember what night it was, and uh, remember I was uh, standing by the finger of trees, and you were out in the middle of the uh, uh, the uh, short field. And you right. Jim, come on out here, keep your eyes shut, right? And I go out there, and the neat thing about it is that John actually felt this uh, energy uh, uh, EM or whatever it is out there, because I had the, the trimeter with me. And after I got out there, I mean, we just I just pegged it all the way over to the right. I mean, uh, but John actually knew that was out there. He could feel that, which I thought was really interesting. And I think that this EM is being overlooked, and I think it's probably the most important part of it. Well, you know, it's funny you should bring that. And again, I I don't want to take this away from Peter here, but just you keep you keep uh, stimulating my my thoughts here. This is what Ben and I run into all the time in in cases, whether they have to do with UFOs, uh, quote unquote ghosts, whatever. Is this this EM kind of phenomenon and the electrical feeling that that you have often described uh, on the show that that you felt in the presence of these things, or at least in this area, and that really strikes me. Uh, Peter, I'm going to turn this back over to you before I get yakking here. And uh, we do have Tracy back, fortunately. Okay. It's like musical chairs here. So take it away, Peter. Yeah. Um, well, then back to you, Tracy, uh, before uh, we lost the signal there. Um, any thoughts, impressions on uh, the conference itself, whether you left with more questions and answers or had some questions answered, or your thoughts or reflections uh, being back at East Gate with John and Jim? Um, I think I do probably have more questions now, same as Ronnie, really, to do with the binary code, but that's um, just human nature, I suppose, on that. But um, 
I mean, a lot of questions were answered and also um, talking to people in the break of the conference and afterwards, a lot of people had said that um, they learned stuff that night that they didn't know as well. So a lot of people actually there um, were quite happy with that. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd, in a way, I felt honoured to be there because it was like everybody there, you know, like John, Jim, Larry as well, and you, yourself, Peter, that um, it, it was one of them sort of conferences that might never happen again with everybody there. Um, and what I found impressive was how everybody was talking, you know, quite openly about everything. Yeah. So, um, which is good. You know, I think a lot of people went there thinking that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, for me, um, I enjoyed the conference. So. Yeah. Um, in response to what Paul was saying before about why uh, wasn't the, uh, you know, Air Force out there every other night, um, you know, looking into stuff like this. Um, this is one of those rhetorical questions that none of us know the answers to. Uh, we can make educated guesses if we want, but um, frankly, people who say they know the answers to questions like that are the ones whose responses concern me most. Uh, let's face it, we do know statistically, analytically, unemotionally, that there are areas in the world that have a higher, uh, a higher statistical group of confirmed sightings or non-standard events than other areas. Um, in Scotland, there's a small town called Bonnybridge, where UFO sightings, multiple sightings, confirmed sightings, anomalous uh, events are so far off the norm that we simply have to acknowledge it. Here in New York State, there's a very small town called Pine Bush. Uh, for whatever reasons, it also has that title um, here in New York State and possibly in the Northeast. Is this an indication uh, of some kind of portal or entryway or dimensional access? I have no idea. Hey, I've only been in this for 30 years. What do I know? I may not be <laughs> facetious here, but I don't know. Um, the fact is also we have strong statistical correlation uh, around significant military installations and nuclear facilities that there is also more unknown activity, which just makes good sense to me um, if I were from another uh, planet, universe, time, dimension, what have you, uh, looking in for my own reasons on this particular civilization, I would be more than curious. I would be concerned about such activity. So, again, there are certain questions in this area that we can't answer. Again, we can only make our best educated guesses. No, Peter, uh, after the incident with John and I, and then, of course, the, uh, the, the following night uh, with yeah. uh, Colonel Halt and John and, yeah. and the guys. Now, there were other incidents, but what was going on, we had probably about anywhere from three to six investigations going on. Yeah. Uh, currently and externally. And uh, containment was an issue. And we did have other incidents. Uh, uh, one with Lori uh, Rushfield, just, uh, I think it was within a week later, uh, sighting at the East Gate uh, yeah. uh, with her with another patrolman. Uh, they were told to keep it quiet, not to report it. And I think that's the 
kind of stuff that was going on because the containment uh, orders that were uh, issued by the squadron and by the uh, command element. Yeah. Uh, that makes all the sense in the world, and I've been back and forth with Lori uh, mostly some years ago about this. Uh, she was, uh, as I recall, a member of the security police, and uh, it was not common to have a woman at the time uh, in there, and she felt doubly uh, constrained and not wanting to speak about it. But, of course, containment would be the primary issue. And you're not asked this as a request. This is an order, uh, no matter how it's worded. And, you know, you'd have to be pretty unhinged to say, no, I'm going to talk about it. Um, that's just not the way you can behave in a military situation. So that's more than understood. Um, in researching Left at East Gate, I came upon flat out a number of stories that had nothing to do with the events I was there to try to research and document, including what I can only describe, and I say this with some hesitation, as a ghost story. It was a multiply witnessed, multiply corroborated event going over several years, and Larry and I decided, I think very rightly, that it did not belong in the book because your skeptical reader is going to say, oh, well, you're into UFOs and now you're into ghosts <laughs> to mile. What other funny things are you into? And they will use it to discredit you. Part of my feeling is I, I approach each investigation fresh because uh, I know I'm biased. I know I have been convinced that we're dealing with a real phenomena with a, a preponderance of evidence um, uh, beyond question. And so I have to be careful not to let that color my investigation on the next case. I've got to be even more skeptical. But I respect what I don't understand, and there's a lot not to understand in that East Anglia area in terms of conventional activity. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, it's really rich in history. Uh, all you know, for 500 years uh, back, Lavingham and uh, witches, and yeah. there's just all kinds of stuff going on like that with uh, folklore and stories like that. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, Peter, can I just come in there? No, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we don't want you to say anything. Go ahead, Ronnie. Okay. What I was just going to mention is that um, this history we've got in Suffolk. You yeah. go to Suffolk now, go to a village away from Rendlesham and ask where Rendlesham Forest is. Ask if they know anything about the UFO. Can you tell me anything about the witches? You get a blank expression. They deny it. They de the people in them villages will not talk to you. Yes. Yes. It was only um, – I stayed repeatedly in the village of Ike, and it was only through – the intervention and being introduced to people directly by my uh, friends, uh, the Warnocks, that we were able to um, make some contact. And even then it was guarded, and I understood that. Um, their home, which the mainframe dates from 1500 or so, for you guys, that's not a big deal for an American. You know, that's like Stone Age. It, it was just so historic to me, especially early on when the novelty was very strong. Directly next to it is an old Roman road. Now, I've got as good imagination as anybody, and at the same time, I'd walk down that road sometimes by myself. I still do over the years, and all kinds of things come to mind. It's very exciting to be walking in a place that you know has an historic root. Uh, again, our history in this country is relatively young compared to the United Kingdom, um, of course, going back to uh, native peoples, not so. 
but in terms of you know uh, uh, European um, transferred history, very definitely so. So it's easy to let your imagination run kind of wild there. At the same time, uh, as an old friend in Oklahoma once said to me, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck and it squawks like a duck, it might be a duck. You know, there's stuff going on. And again, um, I think the more mystically inclined believers, I'm not a believer, you have to convince me, uh, you know, they will come up with an explanation and have lots of detail for you, but there's no way to corroborate it, and in some ways it's not that much different than religion. It's belief based on faith, based on oh, uh, a legend that you take seriously, but that you can't back up. The real work is a lot more plotting and a lot more real world. All right, let's, um, Peter, if if you're... Uh didn't want to go off in another vein, uh, and if you do, please do. I just if if you didn't uh, want no, to do I'm, that, I I'm have relinqu- another. I'm relinquishing the uh, the throne to you momentarily. Okay, uh, <laughs> just, just tell me when you want it back. All right. I just um, just because I, just because we're going to talk about the binary code tonight on the other show does not mean we can't introduce the subject now because I'm just really curious about it. Um, would you clarify, Jim, for me? Uh, you're the one to whom this happened. Am I wrong? No, you're wrong. Well, I mean, you're right. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Not like my wife. Uh, I, I just the, the question I really had was that: Can you just explain? Start at the beginning, as if I'd never heard of this before. What, what are you talking about when you say the binary code, and what was the experience that you had? Well, it's it's actually you know contact with the uh, with the uh, craft. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm examining it. I'm doing. Uh, I'm uh, running my hands over the symbols, and during the middle of that, uh, I uh, activated some type of technology that I don't understand, and uh, I received a coding, uh, which turns out to be a binary type code, and uh, that's uh, what I received that night, and uh, um, it was just perplexing. It kind of stayed with me. Uh, the following day, I mean, I was uh, looking back at my notebook at the symbols, and uh, all I could see is these codes flashing, you know, in my head, a mind eye type thing. And uh, so uh, I was just sort of compelled to write them down. So I did. Once I did that, I was okay. And, Interesting. Uh, you know, it felt better. Uh, but you know, what do I do? Do I tell people that <coughs> you gotta think about how bizarre this sounds? Okay, I went and had a. Counter with a craft of unknown origin uh, at RAF Bentwaters. Okay. The following day, I go home. I'm sitting in my house at Ipswich, England, and I have codes running through my head, so I write them down, and they're okay, and I don't have no problems after that. I can't report that to anybody. Sure. But that's what happened. All right. <laughs> now, so this did not come out. I've heard the story that this all came out under hypnosis, but you were perfectly conscious of this. As you say, the next day, you just... Uh, were conscious of this code when you were looking at these symbols and writing them down. All right. Before before we, uh, I get to the next question on that, and uh, we, we've talked about this before, but just, just uh, for people who haven't heard, has anyone attempted to venture a translation of those symbols, or did they strike you as an insignia or as a form of communication? Are you talking about the glyphs? Visually, yeah, visually speaking, the the insignia on the craft or the or the lettering on the craft. Uh, the glyphs, the glyphs are what they are. They're uh, they're pictorials that uh, have been used in the past, and uh, 
uh, are located around different parts of the earth. And uh, all right, it's a continuation. Yes. Okay. Uh, in what context are they? I'm sure we can get into this later on with uh, David Wilcock. But in, in what context are they located around the earth? Are they carved on, you know, ancient monuments, uh, petroglyphs? What? A good example is with Ursula Bruni. Uh, that was done in 1803. That sighting was in Japan. By a submersible type of uh, craft came on the ground. It has, uh, in some cases, identical markings that were on the craft that I seen, and also uh, uh, some that look like they're in the same type of language. Um, and the, the interesting thing about that whole story there, that didn't even come out, I think, five or ten years ago. Yeah. So, uh, but that was a case that happened a couple hundred years ago. Sure. Okay. So uh, what what um, what what is the what does the code mean? Or do you know? Well, I don't think I'm prepared to go into that right now. Okay, well that's an honest answer. All right, so John, where were you when Jim was having this experience? Were you talking about when it happened? Yeah. I was, we were together. I mean, I, I, I've always said this. I, I remember being close to something and then it was gone. And, um, can't explain, you know, can't explain a lot of the different things. Um, so, but then you go back into the one thing that's interesting. When you look at EM and the effects and all the different things, there's a whole concept of why it would explain why one thing would happen to one person, one thing wouldn't happen to another, and they wouldn't remember this or that. So, okay. I mean, I, I want to go into these codes a little bit because I'm, I'm agitated by people in two different ways. Number one, and I'm going to make this clear, the codes were given off a piece of paper to Prometheus. Prometheus took them, ran them through somebody who they said is an expert, and through all, the, everything that they did, they came up with one location, which was High Brazil. And there was no, what they call like a dot or a period. So there are a bunch of different locations that came off of what they ran. They chose to pick High Brazil, which did run into the series that they were working on. But there are a bunch of other locations out there, and at the end of the day, it's no different than what he wrote down about the symbols and that he felt he touched something and all this other stuff. It's just a piece of something that happened to us. And by no means is that the whole story or the whole picture. And for people to get so bent out of shape about one thing, I find totally amazing. And, and just the fact that they don't want to look at that there is an energy source out there. There were some strange pic things picked up on camera. There are a bunch of sites to look at. And for people to focus on one thing so much and be so confused by it is just amazing to me. It's just totally amazing. Well, I agree, because uh, I think if we look at the context of this, what happened to you is uh, a, a small part of, what, of a larger picture that seems to be forming. Now, you can get nuts with this stuff. And uh, I have a very academic background, but uh, I, I just think that from all the information that People like us who host a show like this and people like Linda Moulton Howe, who's a journalist, uh, you, you pick up from different places 
there is a pattern that is very clear. Locations, times, things that may or may not happen. And uh, it's very understandable why you don't want to get into this even further. But it should be understood that, that just as you say, uh, John, this is a smaller part of, of a much larger picture. So why don't we leave it at that? We'll discuss more about it tonight. And uh, I wanted to ask, um, I guess, just everyone, uh, what, um, what happens now? Where do we go? You've been back to Rendlesham. The conference has taken place. What happens now? Do we keep the flag flying? Uh, those of you who have been through this and, and want, want everyone to, to uh, understand what happened or realize what happened, and the local people, do you want to keep the, uh, the ship uh, running here? I mean, what, 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 what happens now to the Rendlesham affair in the next 30 years? Anybody pick up? Yeah, let me take that. Um, I would say, you know, so much attention has been drawn to, uh, we've just passed the 30th anniversary. We human beings are strange little creatures, and we wire up certain significance with certain key numbers uh, for reasons that we base our numerical system on 10. 30 will be more significant to most people than 31 will be or 21, 29 was. The fact is, though, that information will continue to come out on this uh, from people who have already come forward, from people who have not come forward yet, hopefully from Her Majesty's government in future declassifications. This call was successful. There we are, more strange interference. <laughs> oh, my ears and whiskers. Uh, go ahead, Peter, can you? Yeah, um, and um, hopefully at some point, although I'm not holding my breath, uh, who knows? Maybe uh, our government will release information. But it ain't going away. And of all the cases, and I, I hesitate to use that word because it's so damn dispassionate, it makes everything sound like bugs pinned to boards when we're dealing with very real people who have been through very real, highly emotional, life-changing experiences. This is the best one we have. And if Congress ever again develops the courage to look into this, like, uh, again, I'm not holding my uh, uh, breath on that. This is one where we have almost all the witnesses alive, well enough, uh, subpoenaable if necessary, who could testify or come forward or give witness. So keep an eye on this one. Um, yeah, some of the hubbub will die away now that we're past the 30th anniversary, but it isn't going away. Okay. In the initial recording we played in the first half hour of the show, uh, well, Tracy brought up the issue of, of, of black vans uh, following people. Uh, and, and uh, Peter, you were talking about uh, possibly having your phone tapped, and apparently it was. Uh, has this continued? Uh, did it drop off? Uh, our witnesses, uh, I know it looks like we, we got Jim dropped here, but uh, if uh, John is still with us, uh, have you been feel that you've been followed, phone tap, any, any, any of this kind still going on? Well, if you're asking me, um, first, let's be clear here. Um, one of the great ways of self-aggrandizing yourself and making you, you know, pumping up your own ego, like, you know, they, they're keeping an eye on me and uh, I'm, uh, you know, a threat to the government and they're tapping my phones and following me. Uh, we've been hearing it for as long as UFOs exist, and frankly, I'm, I'm rather circumspect on a lot of the claims that have come forward over the years. When I sure. got involved in this, I thought, I'm a bug in this. 
uh, a tiny little uh, annoyance. I'm self-funded. Um, if we can ever get this book finished, will we ever get it published? If we ever get it published, will anybody read it? If they read it, what's going to happen? Um, maybe somebody will write a, a, a review that will be in some little UFO journal. It ain't going to change the world, and their interest in me is minimal, if any. And when I did start hearing these strange sounds on my phone as I write about, and this would have been returning after the first trip in early 88, uh, my first thought, being a deductive reasoner, was not, oh, my God, they're on to me. It was, I'm amazed the phone works at all in the middle of New York City. But it continued. And then my mail was opened and resealed a number of times by, uh, you know, the post office. Then Larry's was. Then our friends, the Warnocks, our closest contacts in the England in England were. And so I had a friend who had a friend who did work for New York Telephone and Moonlighted at Night come to my house and for like 50 bucks did what he called an impedance test. And he was the one who said, yes, your phone is being monitored, I can't say by who. And I basically freaked out and said, well, that can't be, because why would they let me know by making all those noises? The reason that they monitor communications is to surreptitiously gather information. And he said, I think quite wisely now, no, there are two reasons. That's one. The other is to emotionally destabilize people and let them know that they're being listened to. Um, to the best of my knowledge, um, that dropped off and probably has not been the case for many years now. Or if, if it happens, I'm completely unaware of it, and I'm guessing it's very irregular. Um, I didn't hold back anything in that book, and I let people know that in no uncertain terms. My greatest concern was identifying the National Security Agency as a, um, a force in this and not a good one in keeping the lid on. Uh, and at the time, NSA was something that most Americans were not even aware of. Uh, through good script writing and things like the X-Files, more people did become aware of it, and now I think every American knows they exist and vacuum up our phone calls by the tens of millions, um, emails and all that stuff as well. Um, but for some people, people of interest, people who threaten to embarrass the forces that be, yes, they will keep um, an ear to the ground about you. I'm convinced about that, and I've experienced it. Well, that's it, then. We have Jim back with us. Uh, Jim, uh, I don't know if you heard our question uh, when you were you dropped. We were asking, uh, based on the recording uh, of the interview earlier in the show when Tracy asked or pointed out that black vans had been uh, following people, people who believed these have been, and then, of course, Peter, of course, commenting again on uh, phone taps, this sort of thing. Uh, I was asking whether you and John uh, had felt at any point monitored uh, even in recent years, or, or otherwise uh, harassed or followed by any any unknown force or whatever. No, it just only happened a few seconds. So every time, listen to this, every time on your show, when John starts talking about when we're out there, either gets disconnected or I do. Every time. Yeah. Like the fourth yeah. time that happens. Yeah. Getting a little tired of it. I mean, I talked to your engineer. He says, I don't know what to say. He says, stuff like this happens on this show. I don't understand it myself. And, but it well, it happened. Like, well, you remember the, the first show we did on CBS. Like, That's CBS we're talking about. It was chaos. Yeah. It, it, every time we touch on this one side, it, whenever John is asked about what happened out there beside me that night, 
either he gets disconnected or I do. Yeah. Well, you know, Ben looked like, at me one night after this, the, the umpteenth time that it happened. He said, Dad, doesn't this seem a little obvious to you? <laughs> it's almost as though somebody is trying to draw attention to to you or to what you're saying or to the show. Or, I, I don't know. It's people write in from all over the place that, you know, isn't it kind of obvious? I mean, if, if they wanted to knock you off the air, wouldn't bingo, wouldn't you just be off the air instead of all this silliness? The last show on CBS, and you both were on with us, it was a three-hour show. We had all, you know, and sure, we, we had a lot of people, but we had a balance. But there the, were laughing in the background. There was all kinds of strange things. And the studio in Detroit just couldn't couldn't believe it. And it was like, so again, I'm, I keep apologizing for it, but I assure you, it's not my fault. Your engineer can't even explain it, okay? I mean, <laughs> but Peter, well, you Frank, fellas have been uh, you fellas have been on. Give us a nudge, you know. Give us a nudge, less though. Yeah, we're listening, or we're listening, you know. I guess that's mm-hmm. the better way of doing it. Anyway, I, uh, but yes, uh, the answer to your question, yes. Uh, uh, in, in when I was stationed at Grissom Air Force Base, that was in 1992, before I was getting out. Uh, you know, we had found a bug that was in my house. Uh, I still have it, matter of fact. So we were being monitored there. The mail was being opened. Uh, we were being followed. Uh, I think because of out of they don't know what we know is the real main thing. And they didn't know how to handle it back then. Yeah. Yes, I, that happened. John's got his stories. They're just as numerous. He can tell you about. Uh, it's crazy. It is. Well, I could tell you, too. We have guys coming to our door at our house claiming to be from the utility company. We check with the utility company, and they never heard of the guy. That sort of thing. It's, it's, it's almost too obvious. So, Ronnie and, Ronnie and Tracy, what about you? Do you, uh, do you or, or other people locally feel that that situation is still being monitored by someone? Yeah, come on, come in. That's Ronnie. Um, yeah, for definite. When you go to Rendlesham on a regular basis, you are being monitored. There's no um, no self-glory or anything. There's nothing nice about being followed in, down a dark lane three o'clock in the morning, and especially mm. if you're a car full of women on their own. That's bloody frightening. Okay. I was in the forest two nights ago, and I spoke to Tracy about it. I spoke to no one else about it. I went on my own. I am never going there again on my own. I've never been so scared in all my life. I think I ran from that finger of trees on Capitol Green back to my car i couldn't get there quick enough but there's people monitoring you i i do know that the sas train in the woods so maybe some of it can be put down to surveillance practice or something like that but they follow you they we get vans blocking the car park so you can't get your car out that's not imaginary it happens yeah. i've spoken to i've spoken to other people there one person in particular who, who he runs a paranormal group. I don't know him. I met him on Facebook, chatted to him, and this is what happened to him. He was followed back the next day when he had his group in the village hall, which is just on the road from Rendlesham. There was cars parked outside, and they were taking photographs of everyone coming and going. Now, that's not normal practice, is it? No, sir. Not at all. No. Uh, SAS being a special uh, special air service uh, elite unit of the British military, training in that area. Well, that's interesting that's, in itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Tracy. Uh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Ron. Go on, Tracy. Sorry, I was just going to agree with Ronnie. Really, that um, lots of people report different things like that. Um, I mean, and it isn't nice, like Ronnie say, especially if you're, you know, a car full of females. Um, so I would say that yes, they're definitely still monitoring the area. Um, I don't. I mean, whether it's random, like Ronnie say, you know, because there's training there, 
I don't know. But when people are being followed down the road, you know, like three o'clock in the morning, I mean, to me, that's a different type of um, thing than being followed around in the woods for training. Certainly, yeah. Okay, Peter, I'm going to give you uh, a chance to, if anyone else wants to comment on that, please do. But other than that, I'll turn it over to Peter again for any final comments. And uh, Yeah. Well, I realize we're coming into our last uh, 12 minutes or so, but I I think this is important enough. I'm going to share it with you guys and take about two minutes. I'll do it as quick as I can. Uh, When Larry and I um, were doing our 15-city speaking tour in 1997, pretty exciting time. The book was a bestseller around the U.K., and we did a talk in Woodbridge, hometown crowd, sold 90 books at a local bookstore, and Brenda Butler showed up there. Brenda, who is uh, one of the three authors of Sky Crash, the first book on the subject. Yeah, problems with the book, problems with our book. Nobody's going to get this absolutely right. Um, but Brenda was angry at me. And um, she and I and Larry and the bookstore owner went out to lunch. And after we were finishing, she said, let me tell you what I'm angry about. Um, when you and Larry decided uh, to do this book, you wrote me a letter. Absolutely true. And it's pre-email. It's a real letter, like on paper, stamped. And I wrote her saying we were coming, wanted to meet with her, give her a call when I got to the country. It was a crazy week. I never got to do it. Got back to the States, wrote her apologizing, hope we could keep in touch by mail, never heard from her again. Did I assume something dark or sinister? No, I assumed... You know, she was maybe angry at me for not calling when I was there, or the letter got lost in the mail, or something much more mundane. So, over lunch, she tells me, that week, in February 1988, and now we're in 1997, she said, you called me, and you said you're staying at the old house in Ike, and couldn't we meet for lunch at the Cherry Tree Pub? And I showed up there, and you didn't, and you didn't even have the courtesy to call me, and apologize, and that's why I didn't write you back. And I looked at her, and I knew she was telling me the truth, but the hair on the back of my neck was going up. And when she finished, I said, Brenda, when you know me better, as I hope you will, you'll know I wasn't brought up that way. I would have at least done that. Brenda, I never called you. And Mm -hmm. I was looking at her as her face changed expression. She touched her chest and said, oh, my God, I believe you. And what we very quickly put together, because of information that was communicated Somebody read that letter I wrote to her absolutely in detail, called her with an American accent my first few days in England, made believe they were me, set up an appointment that I did not follow through on, and drove a wedge between somebody who was working on the subject from America and somebody who had established a certain amount of information on it. And uh, bollocks that very nicely for the cost of a 10p phone call. That's low-level messing around with, but that's absolutely factual. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I feel that we have not even begun to scratch the surface of this. And it's 16 hours on the air now with this subject. Many of you have joined us uh, over many different shows. The questions just keep coming. Uh, but we want to, uh, as, we, as we come down to the last, I want to give, uh, uh, first of all, before I, I do, do close things out, I want to give uh, Peter a chance to talk about the book. Uh, where people can get it. Uh, again, his uh, book co-authored with Larry Warren, uh, Left at Eastgate. Go ahead. Well, thank you, Paul. Um, nothing much to say. The book is Left at Eastgate, first-hand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, its cover-up and investigation, published, republished, actually, by Cosmo Press in New York, 2005, available online from any online book service. Or you can email Paul, get my email, and I'll inscribe a copy to you, and you can pay me instead of the publisher. 
That sounds good. Uh, the email here, of course, uh, paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And Ben and I offer our very sincere thanks once again to all those who have worked so hard to make this historic series such a worldwide success. People have written from all over the world after listening to the podcast of all these shows and saying it is the, uh, despite all, all the ups and downs we've had, te- technically speaking, uh, the, the very best interviews they've ever heard on the subject of Rendlesham, and I think that's a tribute to all of you uh, who have participated in this, uh, especially, of course, the eyewitnesses who have been through so much and have, have borne with us all through this, Jim and John, especially you. Uh, and our special gratitude, of course, Dr. Bill Burns, uh, John, uh, Tim McGarrett, uh, today's outstanding uh, co-host, uh, Peter Robbins, who's been with us from the beginning, uh, Charles Halt, Dave and Tommy Jones of Caps Paranormal, Linda Moulton Howe, Steve, Steve LaPlume, Monroe Nevels, Jim Penniston, of course, Jim, uh, with us today, Nick Pope, and uh, Larry Warren, and, and anyone else I've, I've forgotten to mention, I'm sorry. And certainly our endlessly patient uh, producer, Bill Schreiner of AchieveRadio.com, and our previous producer, Will Kosnick of CBS. Uh, and it's not over yet, but speaking of CBS, uh, you can tune in two hours from now to the regular Behind the Paranormal weekly show in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and on www.newskyradio.com when Jim and John will return, if they dare, uh, to discuss in depth a theme we just introduced on this show, and what they can tell us, they can tell us what they can't, they can't. But we'll have also a visit, I hope, uh, technically a lot from uh, David Wilcock, a very interesting fellow who worked on the uh, Rendlesham episode of Ancient Aliens and uh, says that he had um, was part of the uh, team, of course, uh, who that helped uh, discover this binary code, maybe pin it down, maybe can shed some, some more light on it, uh, the Rendlesham binary code. Uh, calling in again, uh, say will be David Wilcock, and uh, we uh, probably will ha- all have, have headaches just thinking about this stuff. Uh, our New England Drive Time show, I just wanted to remind everybody, is on Monday evening uh, on WON 1240 AM and uh, com in the Boston Providence and Worcester Triangle. Uh, lots of people stuck in traffic get to listen to it, whether they like it or not. Uh, that's on Monday evening. Might be something of a relief uh, from the headaches of our uh, Rendlesham uh, pursuits here. Uh, and we will be talking uh, for something that might be interested in, uh, a lot of UFO nostalgia buffs might be interested in. Our guest will be the Dutch author and researcher Gerard Artson, and the subject will be the 1950s first contactee, quote-unquote, George Adamski. Interesting fellow. And Mr. Artson argues that Adamski's claims are legitimate. Now, I was a kid growing up with Adamski's books, and he talks about looking out of the windows of UFOs he was writing in and, and uh, seeing Creatures run across the surface of Venus, and of course Venus turned out to be a, you know, hellish Dante-like place. And Artson said, "Well, hey, don't don't judge the guy too too harshly. He might have been right after all." So I can't wait to hear that. So anyway, again, that's six to seven p.m. Eastern, WON twelve forty a.m. in the Boston Worcester Province Triangle. And we remind you, of course, that you can get all the podcasts of well over two hundred shows, including all the Rendlesham shows, all sixteen hours of it now, behind the paranormal.com. Podcasts of this uh, show will be up very soon. Uh, you can also buy my books. Uh, I do manage to pump one out about every five years on that site, behind the paranormal.com. You can subscribe to our newsletter. It's a weekly email newsletter. It tells you what's happening on the show. And you can also get information about past guests, including all the folks who are with us today, future guests, future shows, etc. And uh, you can also apply to become a reporter. We have show reporters, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this for millions of people to hear. I hope that Ronnie and uh, Tracy will agree to be uh, show reporters for us uh, from across the pond. And I think that's uh, yeah. a tremendous job uh, for, uh, for us uh, here today. And again... 
Uh, that's uh, about all I had to say. We have a few minutes left, and if there is one final question um, that, that what we can have sort of officially, we're going to do more shows on this subject, of course, but officially end the Return to Reynoldsium series. I'm going to ask any of you, if you have one question to ask, now's the time. Can I just make one comment to Jim, please? Please. To Jim Penniston. Um, it's about the, at the conference, and some of the crowd seem to be getting a bit agitated, and um, might have come across as being angry to him when they were asking about the binary codes. I don't think, um, I hope he ain't take it that they were angry. I think that's frustration. You know, this thing has come out, and that's only sort of half come out, and I think people have have been passionately involved with this for, for years and years and years, just as they thought they were getting something, then this this matter of the codes come out, and that was all being kept quiet because of the ancient aliens thing. And now I know that some of the pages have come out, and not all 12 have. I understand Jim's reasons why he's not released them all, and that's for him and John to... But the, the crowd, although they might have seemed angry, I think it's more out of frustration than anything. Oh, okay. and, we lo- and, and we love them, we love them. Okay, well, I think Jim knows that. He's, he's uh, yeah. not uh, with us anymore. He, he hung up, but yeah. uh, I guess because we've got other show. No, please do. Uh, this is John. John Brooks. Go ahead, John. And, and I, want, I want to reiterate this again, okay? We can go round and round about what it was. We can go round and round about the codes. We can go round and round the symbols. We can go round and round about everything. But what there is out there is some kind of energy force. And yeah. to me, the most perplexing thing is to me is I wish I lived over there because I would be doing everything in my power to find out where that source is and what it means. Yeah. And I'm not trying to stir up ET, um, paranormal, anything. But there is an energy force out there, and it is causing some kind of strange effects. There is, if you go to the files, you'll see the report of the video that was taken. There was anomalies on the video. There's something out there, and it's still there today. So no matter what happened 30 years ago, there's still something there, and to me, the most important thing is to figure out what it is. There we go. Yeah, great. What it means. Yep. Well, I can't think of a better way to end uh, that. Uh, thank you, John, and we'll be talking to you and Jim again in two hours. But thanks for coming along, everyone, on our great cosmic journey today. And uh, we'll see you next time. And uh, Ben has uh, departed, but he greetings from him too. And and we'll see you next time. And thank you for being with us uh, behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno in our Rendlesham series. AchieveRadio.com. Hi, folks. This is Paul Eno, co-host of Behind the Paranormal here on Achieve Radio. We're very pleased to have as our sponsor New River Press and Barking Cat Books, publishers of some of the most unusual New Age titles on the market today. Along with four books by Moi, New River Press offers the blockbuster on animal communication Hear All Creatures, The Journey of an Animal Communicator by Karen Anderson, Shadows on My Shift, Real Life Stories of a Psychic EMT by Psychic Medium Sherry Lee Devereaux, Achieve Radio talk show host of Opening Your Intuitive Eyes, 
And in a true story that will break your heart with its beauty, especially if you've ever lost a child, there's 41 Signs of Hope by Dave Kane about the ongoing love and communication between a father and a mother and their son, youngest victim of the 2003 nightclub fire in Rhode Island. Finally, from Barking Cat Books, don't miss the action adventure that spans a thousand years, Heaven's Wave, a novel of the doomsday prophecy of 2012 by Deerline. Visit NewRiverPress.com, BarkingCatBooks.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. Hi, it's Joe Caraccio, host of the Lore of Distraction and Interruption show here on AchieveRadio.com. I'd like to introduce you to Anne Covell, a wonderful lady who lives in the United Kingdom, Great Britain, that's it. Uh, she's the author of Remembering the Ladies. It's a book about the U.S. First Ladies during the first 100 years of the American presidency. That's right, it took a lady from the U.K. 